Hey everyone, Jeff here from BestTechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 59. Today I'm speaking with Terry Jones, founder of Travelocity.com and founding chairman of Kayak.com. We discuss the early days of Travelocity, why Terry got back into travel tech with Kayak, and how traditional companies can compete against newer, more agile startups. Enjoy. I'm here with Terry Jones, who's the founder of Travelocity.com, as well as the founding chairman of Kayak.com, two travel sites which I'm sure you guys are, have heard of and are well aware of, and is also the new author of the the author of a new book called Disruption Off: The Technological Disruption Coming for Your Company and What to Do About It. So Terry obviously has been in technology for oh man, Terry, how long have you been in technology? About <laughs> fifty years, yeah. maybe. <laughs> yeah. But believe it or not, uh, my very first job was a travel agent. And I walked into this place and uh, the guy said, make a reservation to Russia. And here's how you do it. We send them a telegram. I said, what? <laughs> I've seen those in the movies. He said, no, we actually, that's what the Russians want. So I've gone all the way from telegrams to artificial intelligence. That's so quite a long a, ride. That's quite, that's, quite a, that's quite like a leap. Like if you were to do that in one oh. go, you know. That, that... Yeah, no, that was a 50 year ago. So <laughs> yeah. Took a long very time. Very cool. So Terry, I'm really excited to have you on this uh, on this episode. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Uh, th- so thanks again for being here. I I want I always start this you know each episode off a very similar way, talking about um who you are and what you do, right? Getting a feel for how uh you know you how how you've kind of progressed in your career and what you're doing today. So kind of give us. You know, obviously the telegram to the AI uh, is, is quite a uh, quite quite the leap, as we mentioned. But, how, you know, what are you doing day okay. to day right now and, and how did you get there? Well, what I'm doing today is uh, I'm a professional speaker. So I give about 30 speeches a year on disruption and innovation. And pardon my scratchy throat, I have a cold. Um, I'm an author. <clears throat> as you said, uh, I have a brand new book out called Disruption Off and a previous book called On Innovation. Uh, I'm a board member. I'm on four boards today. I've served on 17 public and private boards. Um, and I do some consulting. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, but as mentioned, I started my career as a travel agent, an old-time travel agent, writing tickets by hand, typing itineraries, that kind of thing. Um, six months in, my manager said, let's go do a startup. So we left and did a startup. Um Travel agency what, focused just, on Eastern just, Europe us, and, and Russia. Give us an idea of what year, what year that was. That was 1971. Okay. Um, and so we, we did the startup, and in five years, we turned it into the 50th largest uh, travel company in the U.S. So very successful. Um, I got interested in computing. We had computerized the agency. I jumped to a, a company that sold many computers that did uh, accounting and ticketing for travel agencies. And six months in, that company was sold to American Airlines. So suddenly I was in a big corporation. Um, and I worked my way up. I was there for 18 years. Uh, I ran uh, all of software development. and had uh, 500 developers working for me. And then I ran computer operations. That was 1,000 people, multi-hundred million dollar budget, huge computer system. Uh, and then I became CIO. Mm-hmm. And when I was CIO, <clears throat> we'll go into this story more, I'm sure, um, we started Travelocity.com inside American Airlines. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. 
Right. I had um, no idea until I, we started doing research right. for talking. Uh, built built it up and spun it out, took it public. Uh, and then eventually they wanted it back and they took it private and I left and uh, started doing speaking and board work. And I was working for a venture capital firm and we had this idea of search for travel. You know, why isn't there a vertical search company in travel? And that was the idea behind kayak.com. Uh, we found two great guys to run it. I became chairman, did that for eight years, uh, sold it to Priceline for a billion eight. So that was a really good exit. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was back to doing my boards and speaking and writing. And then I got a call from Ginny Rometty, who was the chairman of IBM, just resigned this week. And uh, she said, can you come up and teach IBM Watson about travel? So that opened the door to AI. And had an AI company for four years. Uh, interesting ride, uh, very tough business, and unfortunately that one didn't work. We ran out of money. We had great mm. products, but I learned later in a graph from McKinsey that travel is dead last of all industries in the adoption of AI. I wish I'd known that before. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that made it pretty hard. Um, so uh, now I'm. I'm doing board work. I'm on Boingo, which is the Wi-Fi company. We do Wi-Fi in airports and stadiums and mm -hmm. cellular. Um, I'm on the board of a company called SonicWall, which is a, a firewall co company, yep. a little uh, security startup called Critica, um, an education company called <coughs> – pardon me – an education that company called, called – <laughs> yeah, an education company called Kinsey Academy. Um, it's a one year coding, uh, academy and we take people in and teach them how to code. Um, we should talk about that. It's a really interesting model. And, uh, I'm also chairman of a very large uh, boys and girls camp up in uh, Minnesota, uh, which we have kids for a minimum of a month out in the woods. So, uh, it's really great for kids and I enjoy doing that. So I'm pretty busy still. Uh, sound busy. <laughs> Definitely yeah. sound busy. Very well, cool. I've flown. 28,000 miles so far this so far since the first of the year so i'm busy <laughs> did you did, do you like flying i'm just curious because like I, I some people yeah like i it, mean some you people know don't mind it Other no i don't mind it at all it. i'm just used to it i'm i'm probably gonna die in seat 4b or something you know I've, <laughs> I've been flying so much and you know worked for an airline for almost 20 years so um i'm used to it nice so let's talk a little bit about how you got involved with starting travelocity Obviously, uh, now we know it's, it was part of America, you know, it was kind of a thing that American uh, Airlines had right. started uh, or wanted to. How, how did you get involved and what inspired the creation of it? Uh, well, there? it's an interesting story. So American had a, a computer division called Sabre. Uh, it started off as their internal reservation computer. And in the um, early 70s, they began deploying that into travel agencies, as did United with their system and Delta. And, and there was a big battle to try to automate the travel agents because you figured if, if I put my automation in, I'll get more bookings on my airline. Um, so that worked very well. It became a billion-dollar company. Um, and one of the ideas my boss had was say, Let, let's put it on these emerging networks like CompuServe and Prodigy and AOL. So we had this uh, reservation system. You could make a booking, but you couldn't buy a ticket. Mm -hmm. So what happened was when you're ready to buy a ticket, you had to go to a travel agency to pick it up because we were supporting travel agents. And after that ran about eight years, the travel agents woke up and they said, hey, you're selling bullets to the enemy here. 
eventually this thing is going to get really good and it's going to kill us. So you should turn it off. And our chairman, Bob Crandall said, nah, let's not turn it off, but give it to Terry. He's over, he's over in it. I was CIO and we'll hide it over there. He used to be a travel agent. to know what to do with it. That was 1990, late 1995. Well, that was the first year that you could actually do business on the internet because before then the internet was still a government entity and you couldn't do business on the internet. So I said, well, why isn't this thing on the Internet? So we put it on the Internet and we uh, gave it a name, got a name of Travelocity and dropped uh, the requirement to get you to. Was there a lot of thought that went into the name, the branding of it? or was Well, it, it came from – yeah, we had a lot of discussion. It, it came from a, an ad agency actually. Uh, some people didn't get it. They called it you know, Travel Velocity or the <laughs> Irish. The Irish called it Travel O-City. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but actually, um, you know, it was good because it was fast and the, the word, it had the word travel in it, which if you think about it, Expedia doesn't mean anything. Orbits right. doesn't mean anything. Priceline, you could sort of get. So we were the only guys who would travel in our name and we were early. So you could buy URLs back then. Right. Um, so I said, hey, you know, this thing was like 10 people. It was a little department. I had a couple of thousand people working for me. But it was interesting. And it looked like it was going to be big. So pretty soon I said, I don't want to be CIO anymore. Can I just go run that? And, you know, people said, well, you're crazy. It's only 10 people. I said, no, I think it'll be big. And it it took off like a wildfire. Um, And pretty soon, and there's a story here, but pretty soon it got so big. Uh, that we we were able to take it public, so yeah. um, I, I lecture and I write in my book on innovation about the story of intrapreneurship as opposed to entrepreneurship because this was inside a big company, and lots of big companies want to know that story. I I, I was right, uh, they I lectured. Emulate it, I would imagine. That that's right. So yesterday I was uh, with the 200 leaders of a 45 billion dollar energy company telling part of that story because you know their ceo said we had a terrific year we made a ton of money and it's really hard to innovate when you're winning but that's exactly when you have to change yep exactly so so that's that's the story that's really that's really it's really interesting it's, it's in fact it's fascinating because like i mean these days you don't really see that kind of innovation coming from these big companies in in the sense of you know kind of spinning things out like that i mean google kind of has done it but they but they, but when they turned into Alphabet, you know how they yeah. these different subdivisions and subsidiaries and whatnot. And um, well, some companies, companies do. Yeah. Um, you know, you see companies uh, really adopting new business models. So, for example, I spent some time last summer with Honeywell, and Honeywell for years had sold sensors to industry. The red light goes on, and you got to figure out, oh, what does that mean, right? Oh, it means the compressor went down. What does that mean? It means the air conditioning is off in section one. And what does that? What does that mean? And so they moved from sensing to meaning. So they had a system that said the air conditioning is off in section one, and now they moved to action, where it says, hey, uh, we shut down the air conditioning in section one. We turned on the backup and services on the way. So that's an outcome. So companies are looking at selling outcomes. I'll give you another one that's crazy. Philips Lighting. Has ever heard about Philips, you know, the bulb, bulb company? Yep. Yeah, I just, they went a, to, I just bought a bunch of their bulbs, the LED ones. Um, right. The ones, yeah. can, the ones that you can, the ones that you can adjust from your phone. Yep. Yeah. And 
They just announced they're hackable today, by the way, so be careful. Um, (laughs) Go read the article. People are hacking light bulbs. Um, Phillips went to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam and said, we want to sell you light. They said, what? He said, we don't want to sell you light bulbs. We want to sell you light. So for the next 20 years, we'll supply the airport with light. And they signed a contract for light. So what did that make them do? Well, they immediately put in bulbs that last 50% longer. Uh, they immediately engineered a lot of cost out of the bulbs, right, and make them okay. use less energy because they're paying the energy bill. Yep. And when the bulbs burn out, they take them back to the factory and reuse the material. So it's sure. really changed their behavior, but it's a much better business than selling irons. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so I call it selling out ONI, outcomes, not iron. So you're seeing companies, big companies, look at these models. Uh, but one of the big problems they have, and I talk about it in uh, my book, is they lose the edge. So an example would be the limo companies, right? All the limo companies had to do was get together and get some software, right? Mm-hmm. But they couldn't do that. So Uber stole the edge away from them. Right. I mean, it's the same cars. If you do Uber Black, where they started, it's the same cars and the same drivers. It's just great software, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, that's. What, I mean, I remember in uh, I don't know, two thousand, you know, early twenty tens or, or so. Um, essentially, in New York City, every Uber back then was just a, a Lincoln Town Car or some kind of black right. car. Uh, right. Those guys were just taking you know rides essentially when they had downtime. Filling, filling in their time. Yeah. And but pretty soon, you know, they ate the limo business. And yeah. You know, you say the same thing with Airbnb, you know, Airbnb, you know, captured the edge from hotels, right? Because now people start from the app and, you know, Kayak's done the same thing. And all these companies are companies without assets. So they use somebody else's asset, right? Airbnb uses your house. Uber uses somebody else's car. Mm -hmm. So from a financial perspective, return on assets kind of endless, right? It's a terrific business. So the, the hard part for old line companies is how do I own the assets and the edge and not lose the edge to some startup who makes me the tail instead of the dog? Right. That's I think that's actually a really great way for us to segue to talking about competitors that emerged af, uh, for, uh, against Travelocity, obviously like the likes of Expedia and right. Orbitz and um, Priceline. How... Uh, how I guess how did you differentiate Travelocity? How did you think about that uh, at first? And and you know, are there certain things that you think that you know maybe you got you kind of played down that you maybe should have taken? Uh, you know, oh yeah, get? oh we didn't make any mistakes. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was the wild west, and you know, actually, uh, Microsoft who owned Expedia in the beginning, you may not know. Um, Expedia started in Microsoft, and Microsoft and American were going to combine uh, their efforts and make one site before Travelocity and Expedia launched. We talked about that with Bill Gates, but getting two big companies like that to agree was, you know, was elephants making love. It was just really hard, <laughs> and so we we didn't get that done. And um, you know, we were doing very well. We were much bigger than Expedia. And we were doing well, and they had this terrific idea, one of their guys, to to build um, a packaging system where they packaged air, car, and hotel together in a package in real time with a discount. And that doubled their sales in two quarters, and they really took off. 
Um, so that was very helpful, and they grew a lot. Now, Priceline later, much later, uh, bought a company in Europe called Booking.com, which had a, a really effective uh, mo- business model and a lot of distribution, and it turned Priceline into the 600-pound gorilla in the business. I mean, Priceline's worth more than Marriott and Hilton combined. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we we zigged and zagged, and Travelocity did, did very well. Um, but, you know, after a while, we weren't the biggest. We were the second biggest. Um, and that happens in business. Uh, but we built a good brand. Our brand value was much higher than Expedia. People knew Travelocity very well. Kayak. Kind of a different story. We grew up only doing search, so we didn't buy any advertising. It was just Google search, and that's where we got all our customers. And then we built this awesome mobile product that was out of sight, terrific, and got 60 million downloads. Um, Basically because of speed. Uh, People loved how fast the app was, how easy it was to use. And in fact, they had choice of where they booked. You could book at Expedia or Orbitz, or you could book at American. Um, and it was really only when we were about to go public that we bought some ads on TV just to impress the bankers, right? But other than that, mm-hmm. we really didn't need to. Uh, because like like Tesla or Airbnb, if you have a great product, you don't need to advertise. People will talk about it. Right. Yet, yet all these companies now, uh, you know, are, are, you see their you see their ads on TV all the time. Well, the, the travel companies, yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. No, the travel companies, we all did in the old days. I mean, Travelocity had TV, so did Expedia, so did Priceline. Yeah. But Kayak never did, not until the end, mm-hmm. not until just for one public. And some of these other companies like Airbnb, you know, didn't for eight years. Uber, you've seen maybe two ads, and that's really just recent that they've started so, doing yeah, ads. Uh, and that, that's been part of Dara, who came from Expedia, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, uh, exactly. Trying to t- turn turn the culture around there because they had a pretty toxic culture um so that it's it's really they don't really need to advertise um, what, and, what and look you, at what, look at tesla they don't advertise at all that's true they don't you know elon musk is essentially their advertising you know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah um i'm curious if you could get a couple quick thoughts in terms of how so obviously the airlines and hotel companies and things like that are have wised up a little bit i would say uh to the tactics and the and and the you know that these companies like Kayak and Priceline and you know Travelocity are were using and are still using uh, to bring in customers to buy tickets and, and and make reservations. But now a lot of them, a lot of these companies want to go are trying to get you to skip that step and just go direct sure. to them. Of course, they, are. Um, they make a lot yeah. more money. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so and they so, yeah, and they want to do that. that. And the airlines have made some inroads and about half the tickets are purchased directly. Um, and that's why we built kayak because with kayak, you know, you click, you search go directly to their website, search <laughs> one and done. Yeah. We get paid by the click. We don't get a commission. So that worked very well because we said, look, there's some people who want to book direct, but hotels is much tougher because there's so many choices. You know, I'm in, I'm in New York city today and you know, how many thousand hotels I could pick from. And who's going to go to, you know, unless you're totally brand loyal, and some people are, or and many companies are, but individuals aren't. Individuals, you know, are going to change, and, and they they want to have an experience, or they want a low price, or they want it to be on Fifth Avenue, or whatever they want. Um, and you know, if you just go to Hilton, well, what did I miss? I didn't go to, I didn't look at Marriott. 
I didn't look at Sheridan, you know. Yeah. So that's why these comparison sites do very, very well still. Um, and they still have about half the market. Uh, so it's, it remains a very good business. And, of course, now Google's into it, too. Yep. Google is, is building a, a big uh, flight and hotel business. Right, um, they and, just, and that's off their acquisition from a while back of um, forgetting I'm blanking ITA. on the name. Yeah, ITA. That's ITA. Yeah, yeah, ITA was our fair engine at Kayak. Yeah, that's what started it. But they, you know, they've kind of backed off recently because they're a little worried about antitrust because they were showing only their stuff first. And mm-hmm. in the end, they're an advertising company. Google's single biggest ad customer is Priceline of, out of anything in the world. Priceline spends like $2 billion with them. Wow. So in the end, they really don't want to anger Priceline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so after Travelocity, uh, how 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 long was it until you got into being the founding chairman of Kayak? Because like, I think the... it was about four years, maybe. And I was working for this venture capital firm in Boston as part of what I was doing, not full time. And they had me looking at travel ideas. And there was a company that had an idea that was kind of like Kayak. And we were interested, but we didn't like their software and we kind of didn't like their management, but we liked mm-hmm. the idea. And so the venture capitalists said, hey, I'll, I'll fund this, which was unusual for them. They don't usually do seed investments, but they said they would. And uh, we found these two great guys to be CEO and CTO and uh, some great investors you know, general catalyst partners, Sequoia, one of the best in the valley uh, was in it. And. It, it just turned out to be a terrific idea to give people choice. <clears throat> and in addition to code it, uh, you, you know, using all the latest techniques where it was wicked fast and particularly with mobile. Um, so we, we ended up um, just getting lots and lots of customers because it was faster and easier to use than Expedia or Travelocity. Um, and the airlines liked it because they weren't paying a commission and, you know, by using those new tools, and by that time we could have the servers in the cloud, um, a lot of a lot of interesting leverage. We went public with only 200 people because uh, we didn't have customer service. We weren't writing tickets. Yeah. We didn't do all these other things. So, you know, to go public with 200 people, we actually ran the business on QuickBooks. And when we went to go public, I think Morgan Stanley said, "Well, you can't go public on QuickBooks." <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we bought Oracle Financials, and I think that's what it said in the. Red sheets we passed out. We didn't ever use it. It just said, well, we own Oracle Financials. <laughs> we did, yeah, but yeah. we didn't use it. Um, and, and, you know, that's what's so interesting today because, because of, you know, the cloud and Kickstarter and crowdsourcing, you can start a company that gets very, very big with not very many people. Yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely true. And I think, I mean, I was listening to Reed Hoffman's podcast uh a while back and he and was talking about the early days of paypal and they would say how you know they had just so many people coming in, and customers coming to use the service and the product and and that but but they but they had no customer service yet you know they still were growing at such an exponential rate people were coming and knocking on the the business the door of the business because they were so pissed about you know uh certain customer issues that they were having, but the, you know they didn't really care because they they were just growing so fast at that point. It was just more about you know. Um, yeah, I mean, and then, of course that, that was a different that was a different time. Yeah, when you kind of expected service. Right. But now with with Google and you know many of these tools, they you just don't expect it. You you do your own thing or you chat. You know we had chat at Kayak. People could chat with us. 
but we're going to build a phone bank. Yeah. Um, you just don't do that anymore in these little companies and people put up with it. Though it is a little bit easier to do now to do things like that, like Twilio and things like that. But I, I get your point. Well, my, my son, for example, uh, is a game designer and he left electronic arts you know, where they have a team of 200 working on a game and he and four kids, four, three of his friends started a game company and, you know, they, they competed with electronic arts. Well, how did they do that? Well, they raised their money on Kickstarter. Their office was their apartment. They crowdsourced the people they didn't need. You know, they didn't have like music and some of that stuff. Um, and, you know, their, their compute power was in the cloud. Um, yeah. It's a different world. So totally. that allows you to leverage this stuff. And, and people forget that the cloud is a great leveler that it allows two guys and a dog in Silicon Valley to have the computing power of a fortune 500 company. Yeah. Um, w- without all the baggage that the fortune five and the history that the fortune 500 company has, which is such a huge computing hairball, they can't change anything. Right. They're much more so, agile that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big change. And yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a board, which is the chief information officers of the fortune 50. And we were just looking at some research and, you know, five years ago, 73% of compute power was still in data centers. And five years from now, it's totally flipped. All these big companies are going to the cloud because it it frees them from so many problems and and makes them more agile. Definitely. So there are, you know, there are so many of these travel kind of websites out there, these companies, um, that have that have that have come along since Travelocity, since you started that, and mm-hmm. I think I, I mean I see new ones all the time. I feel like they're all owned though by various groups. <laughs> um, well, many of them are. Um, yeah. you know, Expedia has probably ten, um, but you know, Expedia I think did something pretty stupid because they bought Travelocity, they bought Orbits, and then they made them all look the same. So yeah. now people go there and they say, well, it's all the same stuff. What, you know, you should at least make them look different. I mean, Priceline bought Kayak, but it still looks like Kayak and it runs like Kayak and it has separate management. So it's a branded house versus a house of brands. And I think that works. There are very few travel companies that have started up since Expedia, Travelocity and Priceline that have gone to any size. None of them are big except for Booking.com and Airbnb. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the big they're the big dogs and they've done a great job. Uh, other than that, it's it's little guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, you look at it right there. What should like what should more? I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit about more traditional companies earlier and having them kind of reinvent themselves like Phillips, like you said, selling sure. light as opposed to light bulbs. Um, how, how, how should these more traditional companies like a, like a Marriott, for example, you know, or Sheridan? Uh, be thinking about uh, new entrants like Airbnb. Um, well, where should they know, be talk- investing their 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 money? Because I know I think Marriott just bought this this uh, built this the Union uh, building in Union Square or something uh, hotel there um, for like two hundred fifty million dollars or something like that, and they they could have invested that money in you know new technologies AI well, and things like that. Marriott Marriott didn't spend a dime. Um, these hotel chains don't own hotels anymore. So yeah. they, they get somebody else to build it. It's a franchise and they just run it for them. Um, so they operate it, uh, but they operate it like a hotel. And you know, what Airbnb has done is said, Hey, you want an experience. And that's different than a hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, hotels think you want to go there. 
No, you have to go there, <laughs> you know, and, and you don't want to be going there because you want to ski or you want a beach or, you know, I've got a meeting today in New York or whatever it is. And then yeah. the hotel is ancillary to that. It's like when Weston woke up one day and said they announced a heavenly bed because they realized people sleep there. We had to have a good bed. Kazooks, yeah. who knew, right? One, so, another company who what, did that was uh, The Win, right? They sold their bed, but they don't sell it anymore for some reason. I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Well, he's <laughs> he's out. You know, he got fired. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, But Win is putting Alexas in every room. That's interesting. Right. That interesting. Um, what, what Marriott has done and is beginning to do um, and I talk about this in my book, Disruption Off, you know, you have to start taking some risks. And that's the problem of being a large public company is you don't take any risk. You have to experiment because you're competing against 6,000 startups a year of which 75% will fail. They're all experiments. So you've got to do experiments. So Marriott woke up and said, well, if Airbnb has these hosts that will take you around town, we ought to have hosts. And we ought to be offering experiences. And they're starting to do that. Hello. Right. And they're changing their lobbies so that people want to hang out there. And they're realizing, I mean, I was consulting with a big hotel chain and they were all excited about you can pick your room on your phone and the key is in your phone and you can check out on your phone. I said, that's all great. Who's going to tell them you have a restaurant? Who's going to tell them you have a beach? You know, you better also digitally connect with a guest about everything else you had, which they hadn't even thought about. It was just about cost instead of about experience. So you got to be fearless and you've got to experiment and measure. You know, 20% of what you see at Kayak every day is a test. We are constantly testing, generally failing, but continuously learning. And learning and learning at speed is what's critical in today's environment. So big companies have to get out of their own <coughs> excuse me big companies have to get out of their own way um and I, I gave this lecture yesterday to this 45 billion dollar company you know find a way to make faster decisions and in most companies it's very easy to say no to something new but saying yes is risky right so you gotta get people to say yes particularly finance and legal who are the kings of no right, right. um <laughs> And and then you can start saying, well, you know, maybe I ought to do something different. Let's experiment. Let's try this stuff. Um, and you know, some of them are, and they they're putting in corporate venture capital arms that invest in startups. Um, they're doing small experiments. Uh, they're creating innovation labs. All that stuff is good, and you've got to do it because they're so. Or you got or buy people. You know, buy little guys. And look at look at Walmart. Walmart should have been Amazon, right? Yeah. And they've tried, I don't know, eight times. They bought a Silicon Valley company. They bought Bonobos. They bought Jet. Um, But changing that culture, you know, in the middle of Oklahoma, um, which was all about stores, has been really hard. I mean, they couldn't even get the store managers rebelled when they put Walmart.com on the bags that you got. You know, and now, you know, now they're getting it and they're doing better and they're leveraging their stores. But it's it's really hard to change your stripes. Uh, but it's really important if you if you don't want to die. I mean, nobody wants their company to be to be named on a historical marker. Right. Here right. lies the great company that was here and it died. <laughs> that, yeah, that isn't yeah. what you want. You'd rather be rich. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually all harkens back, you know, uh, to this. To this, uh, I was just in a, a, a program at Harvard for the no, past nine months uh, earlier last year, 
And uh, one of the professors, uh, Michael Tushman, has has a whole course on uh, explore and exploit. And essentially, there are companies that have done a really great job at re-innovating themselves, such as like the Ball, the Ball Corporation was one of the main examples used in that case, where you know they went from manufacturing uh, jars and stuff to be, you know, to dealing to acquiring an aerospace company because they're really? because their their mission essentially is to be the best container company in the world, and that could be any type of container, right? So you that's know, great. Yeah. So, um, so I, I think there are ways to kind of to reinvent, you know, older comp and this uh, the Ball Corporation was like from the early 1900s, if not earlier. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so, I, I just went and spoke to a company, the Hartford Steam Boiler Insurance Company. Okay. Now, it started in 1860. At the Civil War, they insure boilers because boilers blow up. And every indus- industrial factory has a boiler because steam still powers a lot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, you're 100 years old. What are you doing today? And they said, well, we're in cyber insurance, and we just bought an Internet of Things company because to us, IoT devices are kind of like boilers. Boilers are critical to industry, but they blow up because they said, hey, IoT devices control factories. They turn valves on and off. They're critical to the process. Uh, We want to make sure they work appropriately. But if they break or blow up, we will insure them. So that company is going to be 200 years old because they, they looked at their strengths, which are understanding risk and helping industry succeed. And they said, well, let's move on from boilers. They've still got boilers, but just like the Ball Corporation. You know, well, we don't just have to make jars for canning apples that nobody does anymore. We make containers, right? And so that's a risk. You have to be fearless. Um, You have to make the right decisions uh, and realize, you know, there is no perpetual motion machine. And in fact, that's one of the chapters in my book. Um, So you got to look at your business and ask why five times. You know, why did we do this? Well, Okay, but why did we really do that? And why did we do that thing? And why are we doing it this way as you take it apart and say, what are our core skills that we want to leverage, particularly in this digital world? Um, The hearing aid business just completely turned over through 3D 3D printing. Ninety percent of hearing aids are now 3D printed. That happened in four years. I mean, if if you're not ready, you're out. GE just got the first uh, FAA approved engine part made. But three, think about how it was made before. You know, five little factories each produced a piece of this fuel nozzle, sent it to an assembler. He put it together, and then it went in a warehouse, and then it went on a ship and a truck. And now GE does it with 3D printing. They get a part that's cheaper, lighter, faster, stronger, and they have no inventory. And all that other supply chain is just gone. So wouldn't you rather be the 3D printing guy than the guy who made the little part? Right? you got to change. Yeah. And people say, well, 3D printing is too slow. I said, look, it only has to be faster than the boat. right? And the right. boat takes oh. a long time to get it from China. So, um, you know, and then when you take 3D printing and merge it with AI, you get really incredible results. Um, and, and or you add 5G you know, into the mix. And, and 5G is I got a whole chapter on this. Pretty exciting. Um you know, it's not really here yet, even though all the Super Bowl would make you think it's here. None of us have 5G phones. Right. Um, but, you know, it has such low latency and and speed. And the way I look at it is if you if you go back in time to when we started Travelocity, it was 1,200 baud dial-up modems. And that, that tipped Jeez. over travel <laughs> and music and 
you know, all kind in commerce with Amazon, all that stuff happened in the era of 120 characters a second. Mm-hmm. And, and none of it was predicted. So if we suddenly have 20 gigs, what's that going to do? It's going to disrupt a whole lot of other things that we don't even understand because we're going to be able to be totally connected at super high speed all the time. Uh, and people are inventing all kinds of things around it, particularly IoT in the factory world where I'm running a factory and I got to have super connectivity to all these machines and I can't run wires through my factory. I'm going to use 5G, right? Or I'm, an, I'm driving an ambulance and I'm going to connect to the hospital on the way in with all my telemetry to save lives. Yeah. Or, you know, you can run 5G and connect to uh, somebody going 300 miles an hour. You say, well, nobody goes 300 miles an hour. Yeah, you do if you're on a train in China. And mm-hmm. they want their cell phones to work. So, you know, um, none yeah, of this I, stuff happens in isolation. It, it all works together. Yeah, and aside from that, you, you'll be able to process things a lot faster. You know, you'll be able to connect to, you know, a data center or, you know, whatever from your phone. You know, right. leveraging AI technology at a faster clip. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. you, you know, that's one of the reasons robotics is growing so fast, because I don't have to have a giant brain in the robot. The brain's in the cloud. Yeah. But it's this combination of edge computing, which is getting very smart with IoT, where the edge can make decisions. But when it needs to reach out to the mothership for more data, you know, then it can with 5G. The other right. thing I think that people miss is connected products allow you to learn way faster. And, you know, before you take Caterpillar tractor, you know, they sell the tractor through a dealer and to the farmer. All their feedback comes through the dealer. They don't really know what's going on in the farm. You know, they go out mm-hmm. and do focus groups. Now they're connected. They know exactly what's going on in that tractor all the time. They know when it fails. They know how many hours it's used. And they can iterate and change very quickly. And Tesla, of course, is the best example of that. Right. And it's all my about Tesla software car. now, not, not necessarily right. about the hardware. No, it's not. And yeah. That's why Tesla has such an edge because they're new and they don't have legacy. Ford has like 14 operating systems in a car. Tesla has one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, did, I just got home last week and my car was all different. It did a whole bunch of new cool things. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't have to buy a new car. It just did it. And that's why you get, you know, so much loyalty from people uh, because there is no model year. Your car is continuously refreshed. It's pretty cool. And that's happening with cool. Lots, you know, Alexa's getting smarter every day. Um, you know, all these smart connected products uh, are helping people. I saw the other day a, a thermometer. So if your kid is sick, you take his temperature and the thermometer says, well, what are the rest of the systems? Because it has an app. And it said, he's really sick. Let me connect you with a doctor using Skype. And so the thermometer is referring you to a doctor. And I'm sure charging a toll, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's It's incredible the type of things that... that... That we can do now, um, and that we and that you know that'll be dreamt up, uh, you know, as you mentioned, once five G kind of rolls out over the next couple of years, I would imagine. Um, yeah, it's gonna take it's gonna take some time, but you know, it's gonna roll out fast. I mean, you look at if you go to China today, you can't use cash anymore. You know, right. all the payments are done through uh, Alipay, and and WeChat, and even even the Ant you financial. know your your tour guide, the beggar on the street, everybody is, exactly. you know, they don't take money and they don't take credit cards. They're not anymore. It's all in an app. They're way ahead of us in that regard. Which is, which is really interesting. Obviously, I mean, that's a whole different conversation about banking 
regulations and things like that. But it is very interesting to see how, you know, uh, I mean, even in Europe, you know, or back in the 90s and, and early 2000s, like, they were texting uh, way, uh, way before we were, you know, oh, using sure. phones for text messages and things like that. Um, well, in most of Africa, banks yeah. via text, right? right. Uh, bec- you know, and, and they, because, you know, I have a chapter called Countries That Skip, and it's just countries that skip over infrastructure. So, you know, you go out in a little African village and there are these solar panels, which actually produce DC current, not AC, mm-hmm. no power lines. That's fine. Hey, turn on a light, charge my phone, charge a computer. That's all I need. I don't need lines. What do I need them for? Right. I don't need yeah. all the, you know, we talk about refreshing the infrastructure. They don't have any. And, you know, Elon's putting up internet in space. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be connected all the time. Um, you, you can skip over the kind of stuff that that we spend a lot of time worrying about because it's our legacy, right? Right. And and that's what companies have to look at is you know what's the next piece. I mean my, you know my Brita orders its own filters. My brother printer orders its own ink. Um, it's a tremendous lock for Amazon, but it's speed and convenience. So I want to do it, right? And and so suddenly Amazon owns the edge because the edge products are ordering stuff through Amazon. My, I got a new oven called a Brava. It's an infrared oven. It suggests what it's to have for dinner. And if you want, it'll order the stuff. You know, so my oven that's, is suggesting that's food. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's nuts. So, uh, Terry, I feel like we could talk for hours about all this. I have so many things I'd love to talk to you about, but we have, we have to wrap it up. Uh, before we get to the okay. lightning round, uh, I, any regrets, things that you look back on and you wish you took an opportunity to pursue or uh, do differently? You know, I don't have a lot of regrets. Uh, I, I regret that my AI company didn't work and, and we, you know, we didn't, I didn't read my own book maybe and <laughs> everything <laughs> didn't turn out the way I wanted, but you know, that happens. 70% of startups fail, as I said. Um, no, I've had a, I've had a great career and, and particularly the speaking career is so much fun because I get to work with such a wide variety of industries. And that's really drove me to write this book. Because, you know, there are not a lot of people who get to talk to 20 or 30 different industries a year and learn this stuff. And so yeah. the book, Disruption Off, is a playbook really to help establish companies, look at all the technologies, look at all these new business models, and then give some prescriptions on what to do no matter what happens. Right. Because we can't predict exactly what's going to happen. But if you don't take risks, if you're not more nimble, if you're not more agile, you know, if you don't make decisions faster, you're going to die. And it, it, there, unfortunately, it, it's that simple, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, there's a there's a great quote in uh, The Sun Also Rises by Hemingway. And a character is asked, how did you go bankrupt? He said two ways. First, gradually, then suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what happens. You know, it's, uh, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. Oops. Yep. I'm dead. Off the cliff. So it, it, it happens. And uh, so hopefully... <laughs> You know, for your listeners, um, they can they can take a look at this book. It's really easy to read. It's very short chapters. It's short form media. Uh, it's like a cookbook. So uh, and and it's fun. So I think they'll enjoy it. Nice. So, well, Tara, we made it through the conversation. It's now time for the lightning round. So whenever you're ready, let me know and we'll get started. All right, ring the bell. Ding the ding. Let's go. Jet or yacht? Jet. If someone narrated your life, who would you want to be the narrator? Oh, Morgan Freeman. 
<laughs> uh, work hard or play hard? Oh, I combine them. I, I, I do both. Nice. I, you can't go wrong with that, right? I mean, like, no. work hard, play hard. You got to do both. I feel like you got to have yeah. some balance in your life. Oh, uh, yeah. Current number of unauthor. Oh, I'm sorry. Current number of unanswered emails in your inbox. Um, unanswered none, but 800 that I ought to do something with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one. Would you rather live a week in the future or relive a week in the past? Oh, I'd rather live a week in the future, way out in the future. And then, you know, I'll come back with my car run by a blender, right? Is it, or something. <laughs> that would be cool. I, w- yeah. I would love to go a week, uh, live a week in the future as well. I think that would be fascinating. Especially I mean, I'm a history, I was a history major. I read history all the time. I'm fascinated by history, so I love history, but I also read sci-fi. You yes. know, and and uh, so I could I could really swing either way, but uh, the future is not known, and that's what makes it interesting. Uh, you know, and there are people... Careful. If you go too far advanced in the future, there may not be anything left. So. Well, I hope we don't make that mistake. And, and yes. you know, there are people who hold on to the past and they're afraid of the future. Um, there was a wonderful example, you know, that everybody's talking about the coal industry and we have to save the coal jobs. Ninety percent of the coal jobs were lost to automation. They weren't lost to anything else. And Bill Maher came out one night and he said, you know, we got to save these jobs. Let's bring black back blockbuster everybody should go buy a vcr again <laughs> we should all get tapes and when you say it that way it's like well that's bloody ridiculous right yep yeah and it is ridiculous you can't put the genie back in the bottle we have to move forward that's the way and and people who want the past to stay the way it was well it, it never has you know in the thousands of years we've been around you want to go back in uh, before the wheel i don't think so right yeah you'll be lugging stuff around there wouldn't be any right exactly <laughs> wouldn't be all any right, fun sorry. at all it's been a great having you on. If, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, check out my website, TB Jones. T is in Tom, B is in Brian Jones, tbjones.com. You have lots of videos there. You can buy a book. Uh, you can reach out to me. It's uh, tbjones.com. Best way to look. Great. Well, thanks, Terry. Again, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been great. And I hope Thank you, you have very a, much. a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.